Hello, I'm Michael Barr. And I'm Scott Soshnick. Every week at this time, plus Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, we explore the big money issues in the world of sports. Today, Scott and the man, Evan Noby Williams, who is joining us right now, will speak to the president and CEO of Reebok, Matt O'Toole. But first, let's take a look at the top stories of the week. And let's start with eSports Full Sail University in Florida. I'm still trying to understand all of this. What is this? Oh, wow, the top stories of the week, and we're starting with Full Sail University. They will be honored. It's, it's in one coin. of those interest ones. It's, this is in one of those general interest top stories of the week. Yeah, it's a it's a for-profit university down in Florida. They are another another school announcing that they're building a big esports arena, what I think is going to be the biggest esports arena, uh, esports only arena in, in in college right now. They're launching their own teams. Uh, they are the latest in a number of schools that is taking this quote unquote varsity approach to esports uh, in, in a goal to attract uh, new students and, and, and new talent. Just tells me they see money in it. That's what it tells me. Yeah, it's interesting. The esports has professionally has become a big deal in the U.S. On the collegiate side, it's taking a little bit longer. Most most of the schools that you see that are doing it well are not the schools that you think of as big major schools. You know, it's very popular with small colleges in the Midwest. Full Sail University, another perfect example, a school I didn't even know existed until I saw this announcement. <laughs> you didn't apply um, to Full Sail? It's an opportunity. Pr- you Princeton know, just edged Full Sail in the uh, <laughs> Nobody Williams house. Didn't happen for me. No offense, uh, Full Sail. <laughs> if you think about the, the cost associated with, with doing this, the costs are not all that high. I think this building has cost $5 million well, Did you have the so. name of the building? Did you happen to write it down? It's what, called The it? Fortress. I love is, that. Is the name. I mean, that yeah. It's good. I love that. <laughs> it's clever, fortress. yeah. yeah. That was pretty. But it's five. We can hold five hundred fans. What is eleven thousand two hundred square feet? Can't even hold all your friends, Bar. Well, <laughs> you are. Can't you want even. a twenty, don't you? Yeah, more. Yeah, this well, is a good know. opportunity, though, for a school that isn't on people's radar to attract. You know, if they're looking for international students, you know, in esports who arena, pay more. Yeah, who pay, who pay more? Generally, do better in school. Um, they, this is a chance for them to get on the radar, of maybe in. Kids in China, maybe kids in, in South Korea, places where esports are very popular and places where, you know, people are being raised right now to expect that it can be a ticket to get a full education. Uh, this might be a smart opportunity. Do you remember the like the warm-up routine you showed me for the oh, esports yeah, player? It's amazing. Can you put that on your Twitter feed? Sure. For yeah. anybody listening, Bar, you gotta see this. Right. Just when you think it's like, oh, anybody can do it. Eben showed me this esports player, I don't know who it was, but like the warm-up routine to get ready to play. <laughs> You had to see this thing moving all over the screen, like specific targets. It it was bongo, man. I, like, I likened it to that video that that we shared last year with Patrick Kane. You know, stick handling yes, through yep, the puck. Yep. It's a perfect the thing you see and you watch an athlete doing his thing, and you're like, it's wow. It's analogous to that. That is, these guys are on a whole different yeah. plane. It will make you appreciate esports athletes as athletes. Uh, I'm not. I just thought warming up was just have a beer and go. But as well, for you, is, it is. Yeah. Well, for me, it is. But. On to our next topic, the Colin Kaepernick trademark story. What is this all about? Uh, Colin Kaepernick, to no surprise, he is trademarking sort of a black and white outline of his his head. His you know he's, it's obviously a a known commodity at this point. You can tell it's the Colin fro. the fro. Yeah, the whole thing. Um, and I'm remind like remember the Simpsons where Che Guevara was walking and he was wearing a Bart Simpson t-shirt. <laughs> That's what goes through my head because I'm thinking of the t-shirts that really have people you like immediately recognizable. You have the Che, you had the Bart. 
Now you've got the Kaepernick. What's sad is that I knew exactly you knew what, what, I was, what you were talking, knew what I was about. talking about. Yeah, well, Evan's like, what? But uh, listen, this guy, Nike, with this, with this new ad campaign, has put him in the stratosphere. And he is going to take advantage. And whether it's just on the commercial side, um, with a lot of the money, by the way, being donated to charity... So he's going to take advantage of whatever he can and whatever this platform that he has been given is taking advantage of. Yeah, we've seen in the past couple months he started selling jerseys and T-shirts on his website. Uh, proceeds from that, as Scott said, go to his Know Your Rights campaign, the, the youth self-empowerment stuff that he's doing. Uh, the the trademark for this, the, the face image says it can be used on anything from candles to shampoo to, to T-shirts. Um, I would imagine he's going to treat this the same way as he treats those jerseys in that a lot of the proceeds, if not all the proceeds, will be going to the, the, the work he's doing in youth communities. Uh, but it does show, you know, there's some kind of evolution going on right now. He may be coming to terms with the fact that he's unfortunately never going to play in the NFL again, but we're seeing what the, the seeds for what may be the next step for Colin Kaepernick. Amazingly, whatever platform he's got, it, it could be bigger than the NFL. Sure. This is something where when you have something that's on a network for a long time and then it changes over, it takes my little feeble mind to get used to it. What I'm talking about is the PGA Championship will go to CBS and ESPN and it's leaving Turner. Well, it had been on CBS2 for the weekend coverage, right, but right. the Thursday-Friday had been with Turner for 29 years, right. leaving for the ESPN, ESPN+. Plus. They're building uh, quite a platform over there, and and if you want people to fork over the 5 bucks a month, you've got to have the content. This gives CBS the first two because the PGA Championship is moving time of year next year, so now CBS will have the first two majors on their air. Uh, and more money than last time. We don't have the specifics, but we do know it was for more money than last time, solidifying that sports is still a driver. The only golf that TBS Turner cares about is uh, is, is the pay-per-view kind, is my takeaway. <laughs> yeah, did I see right, by the way, that no public, uh, in, they're not giving tickets to the general public to the, to the Tiger oh, I, film? I don't know. They, yeah, they I think I saw be. somebody tweet that this morning. More people to buy it. All right, Michael, I think Eben and I can take it from here for our interview with the president and CEO of Reebok, Matt O'Toole. Matt joined the company in 2004 after Reebok acquired the hockey company. He slowly molded it to a fitness-first athletic brand. He helped with some sponsorships, you know, CrossFit, UFC, and the star-studded ambassadors. Matt, thanks so much for joining us. Really happy to be here. Thanks. So Reebok, uh, the company that you run right now is not the same Reebok that a lot of people might think of from the from the early 2000s or before. Uh, you've made a major transition from sports teams into fitness, athletics. Give us a sense of where the company is right now. Absolutely. No, I think the way you described it is right. The, we've taken the company back to its roots. When Reebok came on the scene in the early 80s, it came on as a fitness band particularly a women's fitness brand. And uh, there is so much opportunity for us in fitness and running. And we've spent the last four or five years really on this transformation of building back our authenticity in the fitness space. You became uh, you sold to Adidas in 2005, became a subsidiary of Adidas. How much of this was a, was a desire not to overlap with a lot of the things that Adidas was doing as well? Well, I definitely think that you know part of the calculus is that there's an opportunity for Adidas and Reebok to be complementary to each other, and that uh, 
Reebok uh, has this rich heritage in the fitness and running space, and it complements uh, Adidas's focuses on team sports and particularly in the soccer space. So that part really worked for us. And now our job at Reebok is to really you know, take advantage of what's happening in the marketplace where so many people are you know, kind of living a more fitness lifestyle. I imagine that transition was not simple, certainly financially. How, how much of the, of the product that you guys had maybe four years ago was stuff that you don't even offer anymore right now? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this was a tough decision from a business point of view. We had um, almost a third of our revenue, um, about 700 million euros um, of business in team sports, whether it was cricket in India or American football here. And we've spent the last few years transitioning from that those revenue streams to new revenue streams in the fitness space through our partnerships with uh, you know folks like CrossFit or Les Mills, but also um, you know on the footwear side with some innovations uh, that have helped kind of propel the fitness footwear business as well. So what's looking forward? You've now kind of hit the reset button. It sounds like you've erased a lot of the kind of the the, the, the revenue deficit that you had when you cut those out. What is Reebok in the next five years now? At, you're absolutely right. We we've got, gone through the process of um, you know anniversarying the old team sport business with our fitness business, and if you looked at our revenue over the last several years, where there's been some you know modest increases, but now we're in a position where we've kind of reset the business. If take the U.S. for example, where the most transition needed to happen will be back to growth in 2018, and uh, you know one of the things that's making this you know very advantageous for us right now is you know not only is the fitness uh, trend very significant but we have this archive of uh, classic models that are from the 80s and 90s that are really relevant for perfect our timing today. for today so right? yeah so it, it's kind of connecting our heritage with our modern sport products and uh, giving us uh, a whole bunch of different opportunities where do wearables come in in all of this everybody with their workout it's all digital these days everybody has to track what they're doing they use online coaching how does reebok well, play I in think- that market you know, I think it's a really um, important point that, you know, we, we are focused on making sure that we've got uh, a strong loyalty program for our consumers so they're connected to, you know, the, the types of exercise programs they're interested in. I think the actual, like the hardware, which there was a time where everybody was going to come out with their own piece of hardware that someone would wear for their run through Central Park. I think this is, you know, already clear that the hardware isn't the place where the brands are going to participate as much more on the app side. But uh, you're absolutely right. I think what's interesting, though, that you mentioned that um, is there's definitely like almost two worlds where you've got some consumers who have really leaned into the data and they want to know everything. And then you've got another big group of consumers. (laughs) That's me. (laughs) All right. You know, their Fitbit is in their uh, drawer in the kitchen and they really don't want to know the data. They just know when they're feeling good or when they're not feeling good. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot to be said for that because I think, you know, exercise should be a place where you can kind of like unplug and clear your head. Where Which, are you on that spectrum? I know you're a, you're an avid I'm, athlete. I'm more you're a in CrossFit the fit guy, right? in the, in I, I the can drawer. tell you. I can tell. Just the way you, I can yeah. tell that you're one of them. I, I just, I mean, to me, it's all about like, you know, I, um, I've ran my whole life and now I do a lot of CrossFit and a few other things. But for, for me, I really, I'm not interested in the exact number you know of reps i did and what time it's just really about getting in there and going for it and some days you're feeling really good and other days you're not 
is CrossFit the main exercise you do? What's your, what's your you know, regimen? I do, there's like? at, where, um, in our office, we have a wonderful gym and uh, we have, I guess, 30 different fitness activities that you can do. But one of them is CrossFit. There's a noon class. I do it with uh, 30 or 40 people every day at noon when I'm in the office. And uh, it's a great way also just to, like, you know, connect. That's so, and this is kind of related to your comment about uh, connected devices. I think so much of what's happening in fitness right now is the community aspect people are you know the days of like going to a big gym and putting your credit card down and nobody knows whether you showed up or didn't show up is kind of being replaced with these communities of people who are kind of keeping each other accountable and and crossfit's a good example that like you're you, if you miss three classes in a row people somebody's going to call you up and say hey where were you <laughs> so is the yeah. is the reebok gym reebok shoes only Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, that would be a big mistake. I, I, went, brand, <laughs> I went brand agnostic today, just so okay. you would know. Inten- right. Just so you know. We're chatting with Matt O'Toole's Reebok. And Matt, how does a company get led astray? How does it lose its focus and now you have to come back to what you were? How does that happen? Well, I think that that's the key word is, is that um, there's a lot of shiny objects out there in a big industry like the sports world. And you can kind of spread your resources and your energy and effort attacking a, a lot of different segments. And, and unfortunately, if you do that, it's difficult to really be meaningful to the consumer in any one space. And so that definitely we felt like was the case for Reebok. We're, we're a well-known brand, one of the top five brands in terms of awareness around the world. But we hadn't really established ourselves as being known for something with the consumer in a big way. And so we've got to go back and kind of reclaim our home court and and then kind of build back out from there. It's quite an investment for the company. It really is. And we have uh, been intentional in the fact that we have to kind of, as a percentage of our overall sales, we have to overspend in our marketing for a while. And we're spending in the neighborhood of uh, 14 or 15% of revenue on marketing. But it's to do exactly what you're saying is to get the story out there, make sure people know what our focus is and what our point of difference is versus the competition. What about kids? How do you win kids? Well, kids, I mean, kids very much today are, you know, emulating adults. And so a lot of what's working for adults is what's working for kids. But I mean, if we think, depending on your definition of kids, if we're talking about teenagers, that's a different story. But, um, you know, in terms of the, the pure kids market, a lot of what works for us in the adult market is what works for the kids market. But if we look at, um, you know, reaching the younger audiences, um, you know, kids who are high school, college age, or just out of college, I mean, every what what they're consuming and even what's impacting them is definitely coming through a digital space, you know, the, so that we're, we're, I would say, you know, 10 years ago, if we were talking, we probably would have had a bigger, you know, broad reach media investment, which involved TV and things like that. Today, you know, we're definitely focused on making sure we're reaching uh, our consumer in a focused way through their handheld device. Yeah. So what do they tell you that matters most? Is it cool design? Is it functionality? Is it price point? Or is it all of it? Well, you know, that's a great question, because it, it really depends on, you know, the consumer type that that athletic business today is a kind of varied continuum from the serious athlete who wants the absolute, you know, perfect running shoe or the best that's Eben trainer, like our CrossFit nano or like our in running the float ride run. But then there there's, you know, there's the whole kind of broader aperture of the athletic space where people are buying a piece of athletic to just have for their everyday life. And that that's how they're expressing themselves. And this is definitely much more kind of a, 
what's aesthetically appealing, what connects to my style and what my friends are wearing. Um, and it's the fastest growing part, whether you're in the United States or in China or Europe, people are wearing athletic as fashion today. And there's, you know, huge opportunities there. And that definitely isn't more in the yeah, they're wearing like the big thing I see yeah. is like sweatpants that mimic dress pants Scott, so Scott that, loves yeah, I, I, i'm a big fan of those i'm dressed up today in my jeans and uh, and what i don't even know what these are called these, like the dress sneakers yeah I this, think was, right, the, this was a great invention it's like a step up from the sneaker right, yeah, it's you not gotta, a sneaker yeah. it's not a dress shoe but it has it has crawled into the psyche yeah. of corporate america as being acceptable yeah comfortable for me and, and matt within that world kind of this growth of lifestyle and fitness as a kind of everyday wear we've seen companies have a lot of success partnering not with athletes but with influencers and celebrities certainly adidas and kanye come to mind you guys are doing work with victoria beckham ariana grande yeah. pierre moss talk to us about what what those partnerships mean kind of outside of just serious fitness into the lifestyle world as well yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it it is really important for a brand like us who has these kind of clear credentials in the kind of fitness and sports space to partner with influencers who are kind of driving the fashion and trend space. So we, you mentioned Victoria Beckham. We're doing a fitness collaboration with Victoria where she's looking at kind of our archive of fitness products and reimagining those for the consumer or you have Pierre Moss who's you know on fire right now and, and thinking about what the urban consumer is interested in relative to our brand and his brand and, and these things you know I think add a dimensionality to the brand that ultimately then over a few months start to spread into broader distribution and those trends or styles um, become mainstream. And I assume that also helps in terms of what the future might look like, right? The, some of these people are kind of on the cutting edge or even defining what style and fashion is. Yeah, absolutely. Currently. I mean, so a great example of that is um, we just did a collaboration with uh, Vetma, which is a European fashion house, and it's a split tool shoe. And now that is definitely kind of where the market is going to, where I say split, like the, the sole of the shoe is in pieces. Um, hmm. And so now kind of, the biggest shoe that we'll launch um, with some of our retailers here in the U.S. will be a split tool shoe at a, at a much more accessible can, price. Can I ask a very simple question? Yeah. Why and what is that? Well, basically what it is is the technology came around in the 90s where you kind of make two pieces for the bottom of your shoe instead of one. So the shoe is more flexible and lighter. And so this, if you kind of now, now come back two decades later from the fashion side, saying, hey, this is really a, a, a look that's very appealing, um, chunky soul. It's more of a 90s look. But we can bring it back as well from its performance heritage. So it, it, it is kind of connecting technology that really works with what's happening from a fashion trend. So if Anna Wintour does something with a competitor, which it did, yeah. do, do you see that and say, oh, why didn't we think about that? Or that's not us? I think more often than not, we'll, we'll say that's not us. I think um, it's got to be kind of the right person that fits what we're trying to do. Um, but there are there's a whole bunch of different collaborations going on with athletic companies and fashion or music. And we're like really focused on trying to find the ones that kind of are in our wheelhouse and connected with what the message of the brand is. Matt O'Toole, president of Reebok. Is there someone out there that you think, ah, oh, I would love to collaborate with? x on a on a shoe or a piece of apparel 
Yes, there are quite a few, but I don't want to reveal our <laughs> next You're working step. On it. <laughs> stay tuned. There's more to come. But absolutely, yeah, I, I think that there. You know, one of the things that uh, is so exciting about our space right now is like it's not. You know, not everything that's happening isn't kind of being done in some lab in the basement of your building. This is a really open source environment, and, and there's so many great ideas out there that can kind of when when they're layered against uh, what we're doing at Reebok can really be big, powerful statements in the market. You're one of your biggest competitors. Nike made news last month, uh, a partnership with Colin Kaepernick. As you think about your marketing and, and the you know the, the political harm or, or dangers of, of wading into some of the biggest social issues right now, uh, is that something that you guys are on board with, something you may do in the future? Do you want to stay as apolitical as possible? Kind of how do you weigh the, the, that balance? Well, I think for us, we start with, you know, our, our kind of uh, core idea is that, you know, sport has the power to change lives. And if we look, we can pick a bunch of times in history, whether they were, you know, Olympic moments um, or even what like the kind of advent of Reebok coming on the scene, whether it was Title IX in the U.S., which made access to um, sports for women available and then inspired a lot of other women to get active, work out, sweat, have muscles. I think social change can be amplified through sport. And I, I think at Reebok, we would say that's a particularly good thing. Um, and, and there's going to be a lot of other opportunities in the future. And as long as they're consistent with your brand values, I think that's the most important thing. And, and maybe some consumers will not be connected to those values. And that that's part of you know standing for something. Well, yeah. Historically, oh, don't use the tagline of the competitor. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but historically, sports uh, commissioners leagues have talked about athletics as unification. However, we are seeing a bit of divisiveness these days. Is there reputational harm risk in associating with things that could divide? I think there is, but you know, as we've seen historically and we're seeing in the present, I think the consumer probably deep down is more altruistic than we give them credit, even though there is like political rhetoric that's trying to kind of get people to choose camps that uh, some of these basic ideas of, you know, diversity, inclusion, fairness kind of ring true with the consumer. And I think that ultimately, you know, brands that stand for that are going to be successful. Where's the biggest growth market for you guys? From a geography point yeah. of view, long term, it's definitely China. I mean, this mm. is there's a ton happening there. In the midterm, for us, it's the U.S. I talked about earlier. We did this reset where we moved our business from a team sport profile to more of a fitness and running profile, and now we have a big opportunity to accelerate, especially with what's happening on the lifestyle or classic side of the business. You don't hear that much for big brands in the U.S. that yeah. the U.S. is also a growth market. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's kind a lot of, of saturation. It's, yeah, yeah, it's kind I mean, of a nice uh, luxury in some ways, right? Absolutely. I think yeah, you're right. It's it's, uh, it's the biggest sports market in the world, but also the most mature sports market in the world. But for Reebok, it's, uh, it's a big opportunity given uh, you know our share. We have a lot of opportunity to take share from our competitors. How much of your inventory is customizable right now? That I, If I could go on and design a shirt or a shoe specific to my color and, and look preference? We have our, our main models. You can go on and customize and choose your colors, choose materials in some cases. Um, it is interesting. I, I think this, this part of the business went through a big boom five years ago and before, um, but has really kind of, I think, shifted more to consumers wanting to buy unique products, but buy unique products kind of in like, you know, lots of a uh, hundred or a thousand and, and not particularly kind of, you know, 
design their own particular product. Yeah. yeah. So the thing yeah. I, my experience with all these, you know, build your own running shoes yeah. is that I, I think I can do a great job Yeah. and I never like anything I end up with. I think yeah. I need, I, I want so something. You should ask me because I would go <laughs> in saying, Edmund, I don't think you would yeah. do well at this. Yeah. <laughs> but that, well, that might be like, that could be the reason why this has kind of slowed down is that, um, you know, that consumers are realizing, hey, what that designer did is probably a little bit better yeah, than like what I, I trust can come a professional. Up with. Yeah. Like yeah. it's the yeah. stuff that's already sold by you guys is vetted yeah. as as cool and in, in some capacity. And and the stuff that I'm creating, I just look at it. And I'm like, oh, if this was really cool, like wouldn't Reebok have just offered this? Like yeah. wouldn't they have figured this out themselves? I think I think that's a really good insight. Yeah. <laughs> how but how many designs do you say, or do you designers if they come up and wind up saying, nah, that doesn't work? How much, what, what works, what, what's the percentage of things that are presented and don't work, just get scrapped? Oh, more, more is scrapped than, than actually makes it to the marketplace. I mean, the, the, the primary role, you know, our creative director likes to say that uh, her primary function is editor. Like, I mean, the, you know, the capacity of the design organization to bring new models or new um, interpretations of existing models is, is pretty significant. But what we want to do is like edit that down to what really is great and, and, and deliver that to the marketplace. So there's a lot of designers who, you know, pour their heart and soul into product, but don't, doesn't make the actual, you know, final lineup. And uh, that's a very common scenario. I'd love an outtakes page. Yeah. 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 Just an idea yeah. to look at, like, what, what you guys considered or what didn't quite make and it. Have, and then have the customers like, you know what? That actually, I like that. It's <laughs> yeah. a surprise success. All right. That might be a good idea. A we like, host a like everything and you have, and like, a vote. Have yeah. a vote. Yeah. 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 Bring like one that. back and, and sell. You know, I told my buddy that we were having you on today. You know what he asked me? He's like, no, ask him this. Okay. Is Iverson still getting paid? Yes. <laughs> Is that a bad deal? No. Why? Well, I mean, he's an iconic personality and obviously Still? It was like, an does amazing... anybody like who thinks about people Alan Iverson? Here. China oh, he is. We right? should let's get on a plane to Shanghai together. Because hmm. you bring Alan Iverson into a market like that where um, Have you done that recently? Was oh, yes. It? Okay. Yes, we have. <laughs> yeah. Okay, okay. Yes, yeah. But I mean he I mean, I I I'll stand firmly that he has a big place in you know basketball and sport history you know he's definitely was a you know took a, a road less travel and he's had a lot of challenges but uh he's he's relevant for a lot of our consumers so he has a lifetime deal is that right yes how much is he paid a year if you can say oh i can't tell you that okay, <laughs> okay. And, and is he is he relevant for the new reebok as much as the old basketball relevant reebok i mean i think it's what i would say is he has a place in our heritage and um and that there is a group of consumers um who want to connect to that and will introduce uh you know one of our you know an i3 model or something like that but these aren't huge volumes but it's a, there's a certain group of consumers that want to connect to that well, I know he's being kind of truthful here, yeah, because he didn't say, "Well, Paul Fireman did that." That wasn't that wasn't <laughs> that didn't happen on my watch, you know. So, as any of this, when you're competing against the Nike, do you ever feel like Sisyphus? Like you just that's the behemoth. It's kind of like competing against ESPN or or any of these yeah. mega brands. I I we don't. I mean, honestly, we don't spend a lot of time, and it sounds kind of counterintuitive thinking about our competition. We're thinking about what we want to get done, what the kind of products are that are important to our consumer, and what message we're getting out there. So there isn't a lot of time spent on you know thinking about who else has what. It's much more about what our mission is and where we're trying to go. And last question for you. I was on the website earlier. saw that you guys were making shoes for astronauts. Is that a 
yeah. marketing stunt or is yeah, that a real it's thing? It's interesting that NASA <laughs> can't came. seem like a big market. Yeah, it's, a, <laughs> it's a well, well, we'll see if uh, somebody can expand that. But yeah, the, NASA came to us and said, hey, we hear you have this material, which is in our float ride shoes. We need the lightest ever because weight is everything in terms of uh, what you're shooting up into space. Lightest ever space boot. But we need our um, folks to be able to do you know, to actually function. And so we created uh, the float ride space boot, which is uh, now going to go up into orbit. You, you might you might have heard we have a space force on the way, the official mm. shoe oh, of this the space is right. force. Big contract. We have a big government contract. All right, big we'll contract. have to look into that opportunity, yeah. Matt O'Toole, president of Reebok, thank you for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Takeaways from the interview with Matt O'Toole. My takeaway, Evan? He still likes Allen Iverson. <laughs> the deal for Allen Iverson, still good for Reebok in the calendar year 2018, two trips for Iverson to Asia with Reebok. He even said it's not a lot of market share, but there is a segment of the Reebok fan club that likes Allen. Uh, I, I just wasn't sure if the tens of millions of dollars they're paying would be worth it. He says it is. I have two takeaways. First of all, uh, I definitively found out that I'm not fashionable. Because I just bought knit, knit upper shoes, and he told me that knit upper shoes are no longer fashionable. I'm um, lifting my foot. Is that knit upper? Uh, kind of, yeah. All right. So we're in the same boat here. Not surprising. Second takeaway, I knew about Reebok's transformation from you know a traditional sports brand to more of the fitness stuff. Uh, I didn't realize how big a deal that was. They had to get rid of a third of their inventory. The fact that business is back up is a good testament to what Matt O'Toole is doing. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business and Sports, the number of the week. And now, Scott, for the number of the week, you have no former knowledge of this, $2 million. $2 million. Not enough for an esports arena. I have no idea. That is the purse that Khabib Nurmagomedov oh. was supposed to get home. They're holding it back, right? After beating uh, Conor McGregor in the Can UFC you say the fight name for over me the one weekend. Khabib Nurmagomedov. Thank you. Uh, he is telling UFC to keep that money. He doesn't uh, mean that. That's my question. Do, do you do you buying he, or no. selling Khabib he, telling UFC keep the money? That's silly emotional Twitter talk like, oh, you did something my brother, you didn't let him in, you threw him off, we stick together, it's about family honor, keep the money, I don't care. His agent, his lawyer, they're on the phone with USC going, where's the check? Michael Barr and I discussed this at length on, on the, the Monday show when you weren't here, but is this good for UFC? Would you see this as a, as a, as a benefit moving forward, or, or is this brawl too much? The only problem I have with it is that at some point, the audience becomes immune to it, and then you have to say, well, how do I top it? If this brawl after the fight isn't enough to really peak interest or, or raise an eyebrow, then what? When does silly season end? What does it take for to get on SportsCenter, for people to talk about it? Oh, just another brawl after you have... Then so what? At some point, it's got to be about what happens in the octagon between the guys and all this noise has to go away. And no question what happened in the octagon was overshadowed last weekend. You are not kidding. Well, you have been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We are here each and every week at the same time, plus online as a podcast. You can catch that on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I am Scott Soshnick, and on Twitter, at Soshnick. And I'm Evan Novi Williams, at Novi underscore Williams. Join us again next week when we speak with IndyCar champion Scott Dixon. You are listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world and online wherever podcasts are available.